the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. of experience in corporate sustainability, Charlie Reed has focused on driving climate and social impact initiatives within the technology, consumer goods, food, beverage, and apparel sectors. She is currently global sustainability lead at Intuit, where she runs community-centric climate programs. Recently, she served as Director of Environmental and Social Impact at PopSockets, a mobile accessories company, and has held impact roles at functional beverage startup Outbound Brewing and plant-based food company Califia Farms. Charlie is a proud graduate of UC Berkeley, Go Bears, where she earned her BS in Environmental Studies and Public Policy, as well as the University of Oxford, where she did her Master's in Environmental Governance. In her free time, she loves to scuba dive, practice yoga, throw pottery, hike, spend time with loved ones, see live music, travel, and try new recipes. Charlie and I talked about her current work leading community-centric climate programs, what it has looked like for her to prioritize real self-care in her ESG career journey, and her favorite advice for anyone looking to make a move or break into the sustainability space. I am such a huge fan of Charlie, and I just know you're going to enjoy our conversation as much as we did. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited that we're actually wrapping up this season with an in-person episode. I am joined in my office by Charlie Reed. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh my goodness, of course. I'm so, I'm so excited for this conversation today. Um, Before we jump into all the things, would you mind briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Not at all. Hi, listeners. Uh, My name is Charlie Reed. I'm in the Bay Area with Liz. I currently live in San Francisco. And right now I'm the Global Sustainability Lead at Intuit. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, we have so much to talk about. (laughs) Always. So let's see. I guess maybe to kick us off, um, as I know you know, community has been a really big theme on this season of the podcast. And I would really love to hear a little bit more about the sustainability work you're currently doing at Intuit, especially the community-centric climate programs that you're leading. Absolutely. I mean, I genuinely believe I'm in a dream role and so lucky um, to be a part of what we're doing at Intuit. So backing up a little bit, um, Intuit has focused quite a bit on decarbonizing our offices and supply chain. But separately, uh, in 2020, Intuit leadership um, and corporate responsibility leaders decided to take pretty bold action on climate and say, wait, we can do more. Like This is a crisis that's impacting all of us and our communities and our employees and our stakeholders. 
what would it look like to participate in really meaningful carbon reduction? So they set a bold goal um, to reduce 2 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent by 2030. So a 10-year goal um, to, to reduce a lot of carbon and to do that by partnering with communities, businesses, and employees to like further their climate action. So I get to lead the communities part. Uh, so far, that's looked like a lot of really neat solar projects where we're working on improving renewable energy access for communities that may not have access to it, as well as some food waste pilots, some urban reforestation work, um, something I'm super excited about that launched in March 2023, so not too long ago from when we're recording this, is the Coalfield Solar Fund. So Intuit actually partnered with a solar developer based in Virginia, as well as a uh, national energy education nonprofit called The Need Project, and we came together to bring uh, school solar, um, so solar to school systems, public K-12 schools and community colleges in coalfield regions in West Virginia and Virginia. So these are communities that are uh, determined by the EPA as energy communities because they're, they have active coal mines, they've been the, the communities that have powered this country for many, many years, but are now, you know, as we need to transition to renewables, um, are facing you know, a lot of economic challenges, workforce development challenges, and challenges for students. So we came together to um, help provide funding opportunities for schools to apply for solar um, at you know, fixed price through power purchase agreements or PPAs, as well as to educate students in those communities um, about climate change and careers in solar and renewables, um, and also to do local workforce development through apprenticeship. So it's just one example of the type of work we're getting to focus on, where there's social, environmental, and economic benefit all in one. And those are the types of solutions I'm super in love with and super excited to get to work on. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Um, and actually, like, I feel like for anyone listening, even backing up a second, like, I realize I'm familiar with some of, like, Intuit's key products, like QuickBooks, TurboTax, Mint, I think those are... You're, you're right on the money, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for anyone listening, like, who isn't familiar with, like, Intuit as the parent company, mm. like, what are sort of the businesses within Intuit that they may have heard of? Great question. Yes. So, Liz, not most of them. So, uh, Intuit is the company behind... Uh, products you might know like QuickBooks, TurboTax, Credit Karma, Mint, and Mailchimp. Um, so we're oh. a really awesome family of yeah, amazing business, amazing business focused technology. Um, absolutely love it. We're doing so much great stuff. Oh, that's so cool. And so um, as you think about your own sort of like climate impact, you're also thinking about then how you can support the individuals and businesses that are using your products and reducing, I imagine, their climate impact as well. You should come work with us. Liz. That was absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> you got it. Awesome. Um, well, I know because I've gotten to know you for a while now um, that it's been like quite a journey for you to get here. Um, but if you wouldn't mind indulging us and sharing, would love to hear like the full story of how you came to be where you are today doing this work. Absolutely. Well, no one knows this better than Liz, who <laughs> I hope we get to this, but she is one of the very kind people that responded to a cold email from me asking for coffee to pick her brain about her career. Um, thank you for that, Liz. But yeah, let me start at the beginning. Um, I'm from San Diego, California, and I credit a lot of my love for the environment and desire to do this work to my parents. I feel super lucky. Um, we grew up in a household where we were composting, we were gardening, uh, we actually 
raised alpacas at our house. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's my, it's kind of my go-to fun fact if when I have to share this, but it was such a dream. Um, yeah, there were babies born at our house and just a really incredible um, way to grow up because I got to see, you know, the circle of life happening right in front of my eyes and um, kind of just broaden my perspective. My dad is super passionate outdoors person. My mom is a super incredible cook and longtime vegetarian. So I think that these were just dinner table conversations um, that I was really lucky to get born into. <laughs> but then in addition, you know, I was also um, raised and encouraged to be someone who fought for things to be better. So when I was in high school uh, and in you know, environmental science and learning about what we're, we were doing to the environment and to communities around the world and just honestly the suffering and destruction and things that I could not live with I got really angry and uh, my family and friends do like to joke about how I was lobbying for solar on our school in high school <laughs> oh my as gosh, a student really? yeah it didn't happen um but I, I did get a meeting with our principal that does not surprise me <laughs> at all yes. um but you know there, another good joke is I was I played field hockey, not super well, but I did love it. And I was the person, you know, opening up my gym bag at the end of uh, games and practices, like taking everyone's recycling that they were just throwing in the trash. So I think, I, I don't know, my that was modeled to me that that taking uh, taking ownership and responsibility for things we do and the impact we have on each other and the planet mattered. But um, when I realized I could go to college and dedicate my whole life to this work, I knew it was what I wanted to do. So I feel super fortunate. But to your point, Liz, it's been such a journey to figure out my role within this space. And there's so much amazing work to do. But I went on to Berkeley. I did uh, majored in environmental studies and public policy. I continue to be really, really bad at math. <laughs> so <laughs> for anyone struggling with that, it's okay. Um, but I focused a lot on food systems there. I did a thesis on um, post-Katrina New Orleans and food access and food justice there and got the chance to really have a really interdisciplinary background. I think that has served me so much because I, there were times where I felt like really envious of my classmates that were maybe more science focused or knew that they wanted to dedicate their life to saving one species that they really, really believed in. And I'm so happy they do that. But I was like, well, wait, what about the other species? Or what about the rest of the ecosystem? Or what about the continent? Like, I just couldn't stop connecting those dots. And I think at a younger time, that felt really crippling was like, Oh, my gosh, like, I just can't choose. But now I realize that that's a whole skill in of itself is to be someone that can think about the systems to be a generalist. So um, that broad perspective really has served me. But um, to being a generalist, I had a really hard time getting a job right after college. I was applying a, like frantically throughout undergrad and, or excuse me, throughout senior year, end of undergrad. And I had thought, wow, I really want to be a lawyer. Like, I want to go be the next Aaron Brockovich. I want to go <laughs> do environmental law and move to DC. And um, honestly, that didn't pan out. It just wasn't where I was, where things were clicking. It wasn't where the stars were aligning. And uh uh, mentor and friend said, Hey, have you considered grad school yet? And I said, No, definitely not. I don't feel ready. I think I want law school. How could I say yes to that? And she said, Well, some programs abroad actually don't require you to take any type of tests. Like, you love the, this environmental work, you want to keep doing it, maybe you should. So, long story long, um, that's how I ended up in grad school. I did a master's of science at the University of Oxford. Um, 
and it was in nature, society, and environmental governance, which is super British way <laughs> of describing environmental policy. Um, so I went across the pond and had a super, super incredible experience with some people that have changed my life forever. But that's also where I realized I was way too impatient for academia. I was way too impatient to work on like one piece of policy. And I just felt really frustrated by you know, getting to be in some of these rooms with brilliant people um, really committed to environmental work or to, you know, a better future that uh, we're not meeting the urgency of the issues. And we took one course on corporate environmental accountability. And I kid you not, everyone hated it, except me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I I had some loving friends say, Char, I think this is probably what you should do. (laughs) So um, yeah, and then I was pretty, pretty much hooked on the whole idea of CSR, ESG, or whatever we want to call it. But corporate sustainability and impact since. Um, and then I moved back to San Diego and looked everywhere I could for a quote unquote impactful job in business. Lots of doors shut, lots of no's, lots of, okay, it seems like you know a lot about sustainability and that's wonderful and so glad you did well in school, but you don't know anything about business. <laughs> and so I had some really honest, hard conversations and a lot of doubt. Um, but I mentioned reaching out to Liz. And so I did a lot of that. I did a ton of cold outreach to people with jobs I thought were cool or was something vaguely relevant to what I wanted to do. And some people um, really kindly did get back to me and help me <laughs> build that confidence and muscle and learn that, you know, there there is work to do and there are places to do it. So um, I did end up getting some consulting work for uh, kind people that believed in me. And then I ended up at Calafia Farms, which is a plant-based food company based in LA. And I actually started as a chief of staff there. So fun story about this. Um, This actually came from another door that was closed. I was interviewing for a job at another food company, um, actually back in Berkeley, that I was really, really excited to join, really wanted to join, Um, thought it was the perfect job for me. And a recruiter, the recruiter on the role, um, I really clicked with and liked her a lot. And she actually called me after like two or three conversations said, Charlie, we're not going to move forward with you uh, for this position. I'm so sorry. I know how excited you were. And I have to say I was crestfallen. <laughs> so <laughs> sad. It had been like, it felt like the millionth rejection, but probably realistically like the 25th in a couple months. And um, yeah, actually 25 probably. So for anyone listening, that's not uncommon, but she said, you know, I just, know you're such a strong communicator and I know the type of things you want to do. And this role is super quantitative. I just know you're not going to be happy and I'm so sorry, but you'll find something else. Oh, thanks so much. I said, let's keep in touch. So thank goodness she did. Um, About two or three weeks passed and lo and behold, I had an email from her and she said, hi, remember me? I actually moved jobs. Have you heard of Califia Farms? And I was like, what? Yeah, of course. And she ended up calling me and they had this position that they were kind of working on behind the scenes. Uh, The CEO and founder of Califia needed someone to help run, you know, special projects, get more organized throughout teams and throughout, uh, you know, executing his vision and it seemed amazing. And she thought of me and it was never posted. And that was my first real full-time role. So I want to share that because it inspired me to, you know, be authentic in any time you get to talk about what you want to do. It's such a privilege. And this is a person who 
was in a position to help me, but she did also know better than I did. <laughs> um, so I ended up at Calafia. absolutely loved working in the food space, um, made some amazing friends and connections, and eventually um, ex- like kind of entrepreneured my way into an impact-focused role there. And I was focused on a lot of um, social impact work, sustainability communications, and starting to get our storytelling off the ground. Um, and then I had an opportunity to work with my dad, who I mentioned at the top of the call is um, definitely someone I admire. And he had started a non-alcoholic functional beverage company back in San Diego um, and was doing some really cool things and asked if I would come help. And he really wanted it to be um, as sustainable as possible. So I got to do a ton of different stuff. It was hard to leave Calfia, but I got to do things like lead a rebrand, um, something I never thought I would do. Um, there was like field marketing and product development and just kind of whole is a holistic business experience. And it really scratched some entrepreneurial itches I had had. It helped me, you know, see how challenging it is <laughs> to run a small business and be a part of it on the ground, but also illuminated how important sustainability is at those beginning stages too. Like I had come from a larger company, uh, you know, working on many continents with supply chains covering lots of ground. And we were there making decisions like, wait, where do we want to source our malt from? Wait, where should our hops come from? Um, should we incorporate as a B Corp to start? And the answers were yes to those things. So I loved it. Um, we did launch our product at a tricky time, um, aka March 2020, mm. <laughs> when, yeah, you know, grocery stores and bars and restaurants weren't exactly ideal clients for anyone getting started. They had a lot of other tough things to worry about. And Actually, um, while it was tough at the time, I felt really grateful. I feel really grateful in retrospect because it was about the time I reconnected with you, Liz, and realized, wait, I'm not getting to do full-time sustainability work. Wait, I'm doing all these other things that I like but aren't making my heart sing. Like, wait, this isn't my baby. You know, this isn't my um, my dream to do this. So eventually I got off the like, exciting treadmill, hamster wheel, whatever we call it, of startups <laughs> and decided I wanted to move back in, um, in-house to full-time CSR role. And I was pretty interested in staying in food um, and it was also a pandemic. So there was a major job search there, um, the, the second one of my career. And it was really tough as anyone listening knows, it was brutal. Like there were not jobs, there were very few impact jobs that were feeling solid or stable, let alone hiring, let alone hiring to someone who had come from a non-alcoholic beer startup. So there was a lot of soul searching and flexing those networking muscles again and getting confident in myself again that like, wait, yeah, of course I can do this and I need to, and we all need to. So I ended up um, actually getting a call. This is another example of community and network and surprises and doors opening that you can't open yourself. Um, but a former colleague from the Califia days actually moved on to Pop Sockets, a company I never thought I would work at, but they make um, mobile phone accessories and different like electronic accessories, like grips on the back of your phone and cases. And if I, you'll see them now <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> now that I've said this, but they um, were really excited about expanding into more sustainable materials and doing some really neat nonprofit partnership work and they needed somebody to lead that um, in a new way so this contact called and offered me a job and I had had again another really brutal search with a lot of rejection and um, it was an opportunity I couldn't say no to and I'm so glad I said yes we 
took, uh, you know, myself and other colleagues got to take PopSockets climate neutral, which was super exciting. We did our first round of uh, life cycle analyses. We ran 40 partner nonprofit partnerships, like really, really neat stuff um, that was so exciting. And yeah, global supply chains and really, really great experience. Um, and promise I'm almost done, but oh my gosh, there's so much in there I want to like yeah. talk about. But please keep going. Well, it's been such a journey, and every single like looking back, every single experience makes so much sense, like how it led to the last. But of course, it's really hard to see that when you're in them. Um, but I, this finally led me to into it, um, and this was again I can't underscore it enough an opportunity that came through um, authentic connection and meaningful relationships. But I had been introduced to someone um, at Intuit doing sustainability work who became an absolute friend mentor, lovingly called a friend tour. <laughs> I love that, that term. I've never heard anyone but you use it, but friend tour is like so perfect. I have to give my partner credit. I, I did not make it up, but um, I love the term friend tour. And uh, yeah, so this friend tour at Intuit um, who had just become like such a lifeline during the pandemic and during job searches and was someone who I had met in person once <laughs> years later but had really believed in me and saw uh, you know had seen my authenticity and what I could bring to the table like she just got it and sometimes when that happens you hold on to it and I felt like I really got what she was all about too and thought I remember thinking to myself wow it would be so neat to work with someone like that someday because in all of my previous roles as like interesting and impactful and special as they were they were a all reporting to men b all reporting to non-sustainability positions like they were all kind of one or two person maybe three person shows and I had reported to CEOs CFOs slash presidents and my dad <laughs> so uh, while those were like incredible incredible opportunities they were not the same as having a female mentor and boss um, that I really really realized I wanted in my next opportunity so when she called and said hey there's an opportunity to add to it to lead these community climate programs are you interested it was really really not even a question that of course I wanted to and the last thing I'll say there is just the scale right like there's impact to be had at any scale um, and some people really want to work in a startup some people really want to work in a big organization and I'm fortunate to have gotten the chance to try a lot of different things so that's me today totally oh my gosh well thank you for telling us the whole story I know there have been like so many twists and turns and there's like so much in there that I want to unpack <laughs> Well, especially I feel like this like idea of, you know, you from at least from when I met you back in, I think it was like 2017. We'll have to pull maybe? up the emails, yeah. but I think so. <laughs> that tracks. But you're someone who like I've been so impressed by the way that you have consistently been able to like go beyond like an, like basically like turn an informational interview or an informational conversation into a real relationship and you are someone who has like such a community and network of like champions and supporters because you're amazing um thank you <laughs> of course and I feel like that's often like so often where I think we miss out on like so much like connection and friendship and opportunity is like not continuing a relationship beyond that like one-off connection point so I'm curious like what wisdom or advice would you have to offer for anyone out there who's like okay yeah how do I turn like an informational interview with a stranger into a relationship with someone who's going to follow up with me like weeks months years after a no because they like we're still thinking about me 
That's such a good question. I think I I will start by saying it definitely doesn't always happen like that. Oh, totally. <laughs> We're only hearing like the success stories. Yes, absolutely. Like the amount of emails unanswered or, you know, things I really thought the stars were aligning for that just weren't like it's it's way bigger than the amount of wins that have happened here but at the same time yeah I love this question because I think it, it to me the first thing that comes to mind is networking in its traditional sense it rarely works in my opinion like I just don't think we as human beings are designed to feel so transactional and like walk into a room of people and business casual with like subpar drinks in hand and And little pieces of paper with our name on it yeah (laughs) and be like hey I'm Charlie this is what I love to do hire me question mark like I just don't think it works like that anymore and I think COVID did a did a number on changing what that has to be but I feel like focusing on the individual person on the other side of the conversation has helped me so much um I feel this theme of this um, season of the podcast is about community. And I think so often we think about community as like our physical place where we live, like women in the Bay area or, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever that demographic is. And that is super true. But another part of being in community is about that, you know, fellowship or kinship or connection with another human being or multiple human beings. And it's about shared interests. So anyone you're talking to in CSR, ESG, social impact, whatever we're calling it these days, has a shared interest in people like you landing somewhere wonderful where they're empowered to do the best work that they can, right? Like we all benefit from that. But zooming out even more, it's we can't do meaningful sustainability work or create a decarbonized future or an equitable future without each other. So I think there's a, a level of ego removal that has to happen yeah, it's amazing to get to do this work. And I'm so proud, but I'm also really humbled by that. And I'm inspired by everyone else who gets to do it too. But I don't want it to feel like there's just a few of us that get to do it. It's not working. and It's not <laughs> enough. It's, it's like, yeah, every job is a climate job. Every job is a, a diversity job. We, we all need to be champions of this. So I think just remembering that it's really, like, if you're reaching out to someone for the first time, or you're having a coffee chat with someone and you think their career is amazing, tell them that like that's great because they probably fought tooth and nail to get there and it was not easy um these jobs are really really amazing but it probably was messy and so I think understanding like yeah there's a real whole human behind it um behind whatever business card they have has helped a lot and then you you asked about turning that first touch point into a more meaningful relationship um I think Honestly, authenticity goes a long way, but also to things like saying thank you. <laughs> it's really simple, but it happens less than you think. Um, keeping people updated along your journey is not bad. It's actually welcomed. I love when I talk to someone and just have an informational chat or you know, try to help with a resume or something. And then they tell me how it's going, even if that's, oh my gosh, it's not going that well. (laughs) I would love to know so that I can be more useful. Um, so I think keeping people updated on your wins, your questions, your, your challenges is great. Like it's actually much more engaging for someone who's trying to help. And on that point, being more clear about what you're asking for can be super helpful. Liz, I think maybe you gave me this advice back when we were at the Qualcomm cafe in San Diego, (laughs) but sometimes just showing up and saying, Hey, I really want to do 
climate work and I want to be in business. Like amazing. I'm so glad you do, but how can I help you? (laughs) Right? Like people only have so much time and that's not personal. Like that's not because I don't want to help you. But if you say, Hey, I, can you look at this resume for me? It would mean it so much. Or, Hey, I'm reaching out to people like this and it's not getting traction or, Hey, I saw, you know, someone at this company and I would love to work there. Are you comfortable with an intro? The answer might be like, Oh, I'm not sure, but at least it's something to, to respond to, right? Like only you can find your role in all of this. Totally. But I love the idea. I think this, like, it's so true. Like, how do you make it as easy as possible for someone to help you? Like, as opposed to like having the person who's giving you their time also do the work of like coming up with the ideas of how to help, which often people are happy to do. But if you want to make it like, again, just as easy as possible for someone to be like, yes, like send me something I can copy paste, I will make an intro or um, connect those dots or take a look at this for five minutes or whatever the ask may be. Absolutely. And you just reminded me too. you know, don't be afraid to send the cold message, but also don't be afraid to tell your actual people, right? Like your friends know people that you don't know that they know your former colleagues know people that you don't know that they know. And one more tip is, as I shared, not one of these roles happen from an application, <laughs> not one. Um, and, and I think that's like, so important to underline is like it's like I know there's so many things that are wrong with the system and the process that it works that way but like so often by the time something is on LinkedIn it's like art like many times it is like I'm using air quotes too late it's like you know it's spoken for yeah right because it's just not that smooth (laughs) to your point like it's (laughs) not perfect it doesn't mean don't apply but I do think um, it can be really helpful, too, to figure out what's inspiring you and just have the conversations that aren't connected to an open role. Like, if an organization is doing something you think is amazing, or a person is doing work that's inspiring you, or something, a field you're curious about, you can reach out if there's not an open role or if you're not looking. Like, it's, it's like the best time to look out often is when you're not looking. Right. And treating, you know, I want to remove the word networking and just change it to relationship building and yeah you just don't know where someone's going or what someone needs um don't be afraid to offer part-time work if you can offer that like be creative um because it is how you get to spend your time so, lots of tips uh, in there. <laughs> yeah I love that so much when one other thing that you said that I I feel like I'd be remiss not to like flag too is um just this idea of like being being authentically yourself and like to the extent that you can, like really owning what it is that you do want to do. Even if it's not aligned with like the exact role that's in front of you. I think so often we're like taught to like fit ourselves into these boxes and job interviews and like, there's definitely a game to be played, right, in an interview process, but also, like, the fact that going back to that very first experience that you shared, that you were really open about who you were and about your enthusiasm for this role, and that this recruiter was like, this just isn't the one for you, but when they found one that was the one for you, it was so clear because you had been yourself and, and also been open about like the kind of work you wanted to do. Absolutely, and I think this is something you and I have talked about, Liz, but also recognizing that A, there's no perfect role. B, this isn't your last role. (laughs) And C, we need different things at different times. Like sometimes a stable, like, I don't know, benefits package means a lot more than what the title is, right? Like sometimes it's really about like building something and that's what you want to do. Sometimes it's about mentorship. And I think 
yeah, it doesn't always wrap up with a bow perfectly. So getting clear on that list of like, what's ha- what has to happen in this next opportunity? Or even if it's when you're not looking, just, hey, where do I want to go from this? It A, helps you, you know, when you're in an existing role, be like, wait, am I really getting out, getting what I want to get out of this? Can I leave this saying I, you know, hit my own goals and I'm proud of it? But also, how do you know what's wrong for you um, and what, what you can say no to? Totally. Well, and I think also like thinking about um, what you really just said is like thinking about like, what is it that you want to get out of a role? Like, what are the experiences that you feel like you want to have? Like, even like going back, you were sharing like, at, like at first getting that feedback and really like people are like, you like you may want some business experience if you're going to try to get into like the business side Since of you're things. really bad at math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But then like going into the startup experience and really getting like, this is what it's like to really embed this like very early on and going from there to like, you know, a more global brand. And like, there's value in all of these experiences that often we only see in hindsight, but also sometimes in looking ahead, it can be helpful to be clear on like, if I'm hearing the same thing from a number of people, like, and I know what I eventually want to do, like, how can I use my next role to close this gap? Absolutely. I love that. Is Network on your 2023 to-do list? Hi there, it's Liz. If you're liking our conversation and our approach to personal development, career advancement, and living a life that turns you on, I invite you to join our community, the Girls Club Collective. We are the intentionally intimate personal and professional development community for women who are changing the world. Instead of asking for a seat at the table, we decided to build our own. Like most change agents and rebels with a cause, you don't often have enough hours in the day to change the world and cultivate a strategic network. If overwhelm has become your second language and you're feeling tired of trying to convince your own marketing team to actually read your ESG report, you're in the right place. We know that sometimes trying to make a difference can feel like being that one person out on the dance floor trying to get the party started. And that's why we created the Girls Club Collective. It's where women changing the world organize and all you have to do is show up as yourself. We are the anti-establishment version of the Boys Club, reimagining ambition and leading the movement of meaningful work fueled by moxie, strategy, and a little bit of magic. That means you not only gain access to a community of people you need to know, you'll also take a look at how you can grow as a leader, what you really want, and why your dream of living by the beach and working for yourself isn't as crazy as it sometimes feels. By offering monthly peer advisory, salons on timely and relevant topics, networking power hours, and more, the Girls Club Collective is your extended team, your extra brains, and an energizing environment that is geared toward your personal and professional growth. We believe that changing the world is a team sport. Join the collective designed for exactly that and use the code PODCAST, that's all caps, PODCAST, for 10% off your first year of membership. You can find the link to join us in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you in the collective. Well, I'm sure you have other, like, advice related to like breaking into the impact or ESG space more broadly. Um, I know it's something that you've like talked about before and you've been so generous and like getting to like getting to where you are today and like paying it forward and like 
sharing, again, your wisdom and advice with other people. So I'm curious for anyone who's listening, who's like, oh my gosh, your job sounds like a total dream job. Like I am maybe in the middle of like a frustrating job search, maybe thinking about a job search. Like what, what advice or recommendations would you have for someone whose like dream is to work in this space who maybe hasn't broken in yet? Yeah, I I would say we need you. <laughs> Please come. Um, I don't know. I've talked to so many amazing people in the corporate you know impact space that were so frustrated by how closed off it has felt historically. Like there's a lot of us that this was really tough to mm-hmm. get into, and I think there are people. If you haven't found them yet, we're here. But there are people really committed to making it easier and making it more welcoming. I mean, there's amazing online, you know, education opportunities like Terra that's doing super cool, uh, like climate workshops or climate wayfinding pathways. I'll be fine to how to bring your unique skills and talents and gifts to this space. But I would say, look, like there, these issues are so urgent that I promise there's a way to start working on the issues closest to your heart, whatever you're doing, even if it's an hour a month, like volunteering or mentoring or just reading like that is impactful work right building your knowledge or having the conversation or just being a champion of the work is doing the work so feel good and proud of anything you're doing um but don't be afraid to bring those kind of less traditional experiences like if you are truly never worked in anything like this it's okay to talk about things you do on the weekends it's okay to talk about your lived experience that's drawing you to this like it's actually great and you should it's not just about the bullets on your resume right like you are a full human with a lot to bring to the table um so yeah I would say think creatively about your experience that's not just in a day job type of situation um I would say yeah build that cast that net really wide and um you know pace yourself and through any kind of job search too but I think specifically to our field yeah it's um, it's relationship oriented. Like there are really kind, wonderful people that love what we get to do here. So people will tend to be pretty generous. If someone doesn't respond, that's also okay. And it has nothing to do with you. I promise. I'm, I'm really sad. I've kind of become one of those people that I know I'm missing emails and missing outreach. And I really don't want to do that. But, um, so many people have helped me and I'm really committed to paying for it too. But yeah, I think specific to this space, um, you know, there's a lot of people that'll say like, oh, you need to specialize in something or you have to become an expert in you know, circular economy or an expert in climate and carbon accounting. That is a great path if that's what you really want. But I don't think you have to do anything like its field is changing every day, every minute. <laughs> None of these jobs existed very long ago. <laughs> so remember that, too. Um, and yeah, just remember we're all we're all in it together. Totally. Well, I love, I mean, I so agree with so much of that. And I also want to go back to something you said earlier, Charlie, which is like really like every job is a climate job now. And like, if you don't feel like if your title is doesn't have like climate or sustainability in it right now, like that does not mean that you cannot be helpful in advancing sustainability or ESG within your organization. And in fact, sometimes you can be the most helpful when you're in a different function and the person who's leading the work is looking for like an ally or an advocate or a champion. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say it's the same um, with social impact too, right? Like we need everybody (laughs) to be doing this work. Like I would love it if our roles didn't exist eventually because it's just so integrated into organizational realities. Uh, But I love that. Yeah. It's, we're all doing the work. 
Totally. Well, and there's one other thing I want to ask job search related before we shift gears a little bit and talk about like self-care in these roles. Um, Sort of like a bridge question in some ways, because I feel like you are someone who is like really um, had so much resilience in like, you know, long and sometimes frustrating job searches. She means many, many months. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you really held the vision though. Like, and admittedly, like that you were looking in some of the hardest times, I think, like in the history of time, it seems like, um, to, for getting into this space. So I'm curious, like, do you have any like reflections for anyone who might be in the middle of like a tough search or like waiting for it to happen and feeling like it hasn't happened yet? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I truly like the amount of tears, <laughs> the amount of pep talks, the amount of like, wow, maybe I need to go start a pottery studio, and I'm like a pretty average ceramicist, <laughs> but just feeling like this isn't working, and feeling so frustrated, or like, wow, why did I even go to grad school? Like, why isn't this panning out? It's such a, um, it can be really, really debilitating, and so yeah, great bridge question into self-care because it's connected to that like putting yourself out there for a job search like nine times out of ten or 9.9 times out of ten is going to involve some kind of disappointment or rejection I think for most people (laughs) um at least in this field where yeah these roles are few and far between they're coveted they're not always deemed need to have to run a business right and that's changing thank goodness but it's still true in a lot of organizations and so Um, A lot of times people really do want to hire you, by the way, (laughs) they just can't for some reason, or they need, they wish that there were two roles, but there isn't. And during COVID, yeah, it was crazy. Like people were, roles were disappearing at final round interviews. Um, Like, Hey, you're great. We would love getting a chat with you, but we actually don't have budget anymore. So sorry. Like, so understanding that there are always other forces beyond the person on the other side of the interview and yourself, um, that I think has helped me a lot in letting go of the like recovering perfectionism <laughs> that I think is really, yeah, it's, it's, it's so challenging not to take it all personally and take it really hard. And honestly, sometimes it just feels terrible and I would just have to let myself feel the feels and cry it out and treat myself to, to something nice. But I do also think that job searches test you in a way to make sure you really want to do this. Um, and this type of work, requires resilience I think in most organizations um yeah you're not dealing with massive budgets you're not dealing with every resource you want and we are looking at issues that can be really really disheartening you know the the IPCC data does not exactly make us feel awesome about where we're all (laughs) headed but other people do and there's a lot of wins and great things to celebrate I'm 100% optimist I just share that like that resilience and thick thickening of the skin will continue to serve even though it's super painful and it just isn't fun (laughs) to not get the opportunities you want that being said um I think being able to adapt as a job search is going on is really vital too like if what you're doing just isn't working because you're not getting any type of responses you got to be able to remove the ego and and change that or be open and ask for help or reach out to someone even a friend or family member just be like hey what other what other paths could there be um that's a really important one. And yeah, I, I would say it will, it just will happen, but you don't have to say yes to the first thing that comes your way either. Um, Liz is smiling probably because <laughs> in 
two or three different job searches I've had. Um, I've had multiple offers come through on the same day after literal months of nothing, of crickets. So yeah, and oh, oh, sorry, one more thing. People that you meet in an interview process should also be people you keep up with. Um, they don't, ha- if you like them, right? And if you feel a connection and you're like, wait, I, I love that person's, the way they ask that question or wait, they seem really interesting. Just because you may, may not get that job doesn't mean that that person couldn't be someone to learn from and connect with who also is committed to this work in the same way you are. Like back to community, right? If we're all doing this type of work so we care about each other, um, one another thing someone else told me to like trust that they know more about the role than we do mm. <laughs> of course that's true um, but it's hard to see because you're like what I'm I'm ideal I check every box this has got to be it and they know it's not for some reason maybe there's some other cultural force happening at that organization that like you're just gonna you know not like, right? Like they know that you don't. So trust it. I trust yourself. We really need you. I'm going to say that again. We need you. We need you. We need you. <laughs> yeah. So I can't tell you how many times I have seen it happen that way where like, it does feel like crickets, 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 and then bam, all of a sudden multiple offers and it can change so fast. It can, you could seriously go from feeling like, how did these two things evaporate in the span of a week? I thought I was close to an offer on one or both to all of a sudden I have multiple other offers from places that weren't even those two places. <laughs> oh so. my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's always full of surprises. And I think you're reminding me to celebrate that too, like celebrate the doors that didn't open <laughs> because there was probably something less than ideal on the other side. Um, Hmm. I love that. Um, well, going back to self-care and like real self-care, not like, I don't know, not like, get a, masks and yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not like buy a crystal because <laughs> you don't have time to work out today, but like real self-care. Um, I know it's something that you've prioritized like throughout your career. Um, it's something that like, yeah, you've just really taken seriously is like taking care of yourself to be able to show up and do this work. And I'm curious, like, if you can share a little bit more of like what that's looked like or any advice that you have for other people who are really looking to do a better job of actually taking care of themselves so that they can show up for this work. Well, you just said it perfectly. Like you cannot pour from an empty cup. We physically, physics, like, will not let us. <laughs> so we've tried. We've tried. I've tried. I've tried so hard to the point that I actually got really um, sick. So I'm happy to share this. Like, when I was in grad school, I had some health challenges going on and migraines and joint pain and things I had never faced with and ended up being a chronic pain condition um, that took months and months to diagnose. And really like the main treatment for that is to reduce stress <laughs> and treat things that cause stress because stress manifests in pain in your body. And I remember this doctor, when I finally was getting clarity on what the heck was going on, you know, I was 20, 24, maybe 23, like really, really young and had been super fortunate to be healthy and had taken good care, but had also been, you know, a jam-packed calendar, like high achiever driven go-getter vibe. And that had always been my vibe. And I had this doctor say, um, I have to tell you that this is pretty common amongst 
uh, top achieving people. And this, like, we see this in people that push themselves really, really hard. And I'm really sorry to tell you, you've pushed yourself too hard. And that felt devastating. It felt like this huge, huge blow, this huge loss, this huge, like, wow, am I going to be like limited in what I can give and do and experience? Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that. And I feel so lucky though, that that happened because I was not on a path to be able to sustain the kind of work I want to do and the kind of life I want to live. Like life is not all about work. And back to what I was saying about, we all are in this, like it's not on one person to solve all of these problems. Like we literally cannot, no matter how heartbreaking it is or how much you feel what's happening um, in, you know, a social or environmental or just like spiritual context, we can't do it all. So we also are alive here and we're alive right now. And that's freaking amazing. <laughs> so it was a massive reevaluation was required. Um, and I had to kind of evaluate everything I was doing from you know how I was spending my weekends to what I was eating and drinking to how I was exercising. And essentially, yeah, Liz, like self-care has become more important than anything. Um, and it's looked like tons of different things from, yeah, like acupuncture to sleep schedule to what I eat and tons of trial and error. And that can be frustrating, but I try to see it as like a chance to try something and not get too attached if it doesn't work. Um, I'm really proud to say I feel a lot better now and I feel really in control of my symptoms, but it is a lifelong thing that I do notice if I push too far or too hard or just into go, 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 I will get flare-ups and so I think that is something that yeah might not look like this exact chronic pain condition in other people but we all have those triggers and so my advice and like really kind suggestion loving suggestion would be to listen to your body like you know when you don't feel good like it is not normal in this like how we treat wellness in this country is not normal it is not normal to feel like you can walk into CVS and buy something that's going to make you feel better or make that symptom go away like there are so many other communities around and, you know, historically around the world that have treated our bodies differently. So I encourage that with love and, and not, no judgment at all because I'm, I'm in it too. But I, yeah, definitely prioritize like treating food as medicine has been really helpful for me, but a lot of it's about time. It's about boundaries saying no. Sometimes it really isn't fun to say, no, I can't do that weekend trip when I really want to. Um, sometimes it's, I'm going to just ask like in a work context, like actually, yeah, I'm happy to do it, but <laughs> how long, or, or even before saying, yeah, I'm happy to do it saying, great. When do you need this by to confirm with myself that I actually can, can take on that extra load? Um, it also looks like booking the flight. <laughs> it looks like treating myself all the time. It looks like celebrating the progress, um, not just the wins. It looks like, yeah, being really open. And, and yeah, slowing down. COVID was, was obviously important for all of us to do that. But I think for me in particular, like I couldn't pack my calendar <laughs> and I kind of liked it. <laughs> So keeping elements of that, I, I should add that I have not lived in one place for more than like, I think 18 months since college. And that's been kind of crazy. <laughs> too. But I think, you know, all of these things like have, you know, all the things I do every day to take care of myself have helped. So yeah, mental health, big one too. Uh, yes, I feel like we could have a whole hour long conversation just yes. on like some of the principles that you just outlined and. Maybe one day we will. Um, Anytime. 
I love it. Well, I guess sort of picking up on just like even looking back, um, is there any advice that you wish you could give younger Charlie? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I mean, I wish uh, my dad often in, you know, times when someone is expressing something challenging or something that didn't pan out or something we're going through, like, it's always something, you know, something he loves to say, <laughs> meaning get used to it. And it's okay. Like your life is happening now. Um, it's not a dress rehearsal, like you're in it. But another thing he says that I try to remember a lot is um, he just will ask, are you enjoying the ride? Mm. And it's so simple, but that's a choice to enjoy the ride. Like no one is going to enjoy it for you. Um, so I, I often wish I had known that a bit sooner, but I'm practicing it now. I also think we touched on this a little bit, but it will all make sense. (laughs) And you are right where you're supposed to be. And I know that that's really hard to feel when you're in a space of growth or challenge or change, but you are where you're supposed to be and look around, like take in the view because it's, everything's temporary. Absolutely. Uh, I'm reading a book on that very topic right now. Mm. Have you read um, Lighter by Young Pablo? I sure have. I'm giving it to people. I love it. (laughs) So good. I'm like a third of the way in, but I'm definitely in the like, life has changed. Life has changed. Get on board. (laughs) Yeah. The good stuff is changing too, by the way. So soak it up, but you can't, you can't hold it. Love it. Totally. Um, Well, you know that this question is coming because it's like my favorite question. Well, I have a few favorite questions, Mm -hmm. Um, but I love asking everyone on the podcast if you could give post-it sized inspo uh, to our listeners, what is your favorite like quote, mantra, reminder that you would want to share? I kind of gave it away in our last, my last answer. I should have saved it, but it's for sure. Everything is temporary. I used to say nothing is permanent, but I actually like everything is temporary. It's just a little bit more positive. I think, yeah, if, if you're not, um, you know, happy with anything, it's gonna end <laughs> like it, or change, maybe not end, but it will shift. And that same goes with the wins and the great things, right? So we have to treat each thing as delicate and precious and fleeting and ephemeral and all of that. And like have more, I think, um, yeah, just see more of the, like the divine and the sacred and all of it. Like, this is so wild that we're all here. <laughs> so I try to have a touch of that. One other thing that I love, and it's from All We Can Save, which I'm sure has been referenced a lot on this podcast, but it's an incredible book and community that I reference a lot. But I believe in there is where I first heard um, something or first read something along the lines of like, we can be so afraid of what's happening with the climate and devastated and downtrodden. That's not the words, but you know, we can be really pessimistic about what's happening or we can fall in love with the beauty of the solutions. And I come back to that all the time. Like we do have um, work to do, but we also have opportunity to be really creative and cause a lot of positive impact in our, in our day-to-day, big, small, medium, all the scales. So I love that. Like falling in love with the beauty of the solutions. I try to remind myself of that a lot. Mm, Yes. That's something that's come up on this podcast as well. And something I think a lot about is like, as opposed to like, you know, we had so much gloom and doom and that's like real, um, and like where I think we've maybe, I want to say we've had it, well, maybe where we failed on climate communications or where we have an opportunity for dramatic improvement is like, how do we paint the vision for the future that we want, as opposed to just like scaring people about the future that we don't. It can be so beautiful. And I really hope it is like there's, it's a blank canvas, like back to everything being temporary. 
we made all the choices that got us here so we can make different choices to get us away from it. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, well, because this is the women changing the world podcast, I have to ask, um, the biggest question for last, um, if you could change one thing about the world, what is the one thing that you would most want to change? Okay. Probably not a surprising answer, (laughs) but I would keep us well below 1.5 degrees Celsius. I'm sure Um, in global warming, I'm sure many have said that or something similar, but I want to add, it's cheating because I'm answering this very long answer list, (laughs) but I am always here for cheating on this question. (laughs) I often will be like, please feel free to cheat. (laughs) You love nuance and you appreciate it. I appreciate that about you, but um, I would keep us, you know, within the 1.5 or hopefully well below, but I I really, really, really hope we can do that. Um, But I want us to do it (laughs) most rapidly and quickly with three principles, one or three, not even principles, just three concepts is electrifying everything. Um, immediately, quickly, cheaply, accessibly, affordably. Um, I want us to end factory farming. If I had my magic wand, I would do that yesterday And because it's just making us sick and it's also causing so much suffering that I really do think we're going to look back and feel like this and, and just see how barbaric this system is and it's not helping us <laughs> from a planetary level but also from a human health level. So I'm super, I think that's one of our most surefire if I had a magic wand, that'd be a surefire thing. And the last thing is just centering equity and everything. Like we need other voices. We need diversity of perspective. So yeah, keep us below 1.5 with my magic wand. And those would be the three ways I'd want to see us do it. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so here for that. Um, Thank you so much, Charlie. This has been such a fun and inspiring conversation. I'm so grateful that we got to do this. Um, For people who are like as obsessed with you as I am who want to follow along and keep up with you on the journey like where's the best place for people to to follow you I'm so not that fun I mean I would probably say LinkedIn for now (laughs) um yeah for now LinkedIn but I'm always excited to connect over email and truly um yeah thanks thanks so much for having me Liz you're awesome and I love this podcast it's a really treat really big treat to be on it Oh my gosh. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like, again, there's just so much, um, so much magic and so much wisdom in what you've shared. Um, so thank you for making time. More to come. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Liz.Best, that's L-A-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting ElizabethBest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.